0: Hello and welcome to New Things Under the Sun. I'm Matt Clancy. This week's podcast, When Research Over There Isn't Helpful Here, was written in collaboration with Carolyn Fry, assistant professor at the University of Hawaii at Manawa. Now, according to most conventional measures of scientific output, the majority of global research takes place in just a handful of countries. For example, data from Our World and Data indicates that countries that have about 12% of the world's people produce half the world's research. And on the other side of the coin, half the world's population resides in countries that collectively produce just about 9% of scientific articles. And these ratios are even more skewed if you rely on data about R&D spending or the number of research workers rather than the number of scientific articles published. So put differently, a lot of the world's population lives in countries in which little research happens. Now we might ask, is that even a problem? According to classical models of sort of the ideas production function in economics, ideas are universal. Ideas developed in one place are applicable everywhere, and if this is true, then where research takes place shouldn't really be a problem. Indeed, if research benefits from clustering, we actually would want to concentrate our research communities in a small number of places. Now there are two problems here, though. First, as has been sort of well established in the literatures on technology diffusion there are significant frictions associated with the diffusion of knowledge over geographic distances. And in the newsletter, I've got some links to some recent literature reviews, not by me, uh, about this topic. Second, and what I, and what we plan to sort of talk about in this post, research could be less useful in countries where it didn't occur, or nearly as consequential, people might think this is the case. In this post, we'll look at four domains, agriculture, health, the behavioral sciences, and program evaluation research, where new discoveries don't seem to have universal application across all geographies. Now, I should just as an aside note that there's also a kind of a rich literature and economic development about inappropriate technology, and we're kind of focusing on the upstream knowledge discoveries that maybe would later get turned into and sort of codified as technologies. But we're going to focus on research, not new technologies per se. Now, in a previous post, we discussed some evidence that researchers tend to focus on problems in their local area. Now, to the extent that the prevalence of problems varies around the world, this could mean that the distribution of researchers influences the level of research to solve problems in sort of some locations, irrespective of diffusion issues. Now, if the problems of places with few researchers differ from the problems of places with lots of researchers, then some problems will tend to be under-researched if researchers focus on what's happening locally. So the first important question is, do problems vary around the world? And of course they do. We can start with Moscona and Sastry 2022, which documents that the prevalence of crops and pests varies around the world. In a first step of their analysis, they use a data set on International Crop Pests and Pathogens from the Center for Agriculture and Bioscience International to map the prevalence of crop pests or pathogens around the world. And they document significant variation in where crops and their associated pests and pathogens tend to be found. Similarly, it's well documented that diseases also vary around the world due to variations in animal hosts, local climates, demographics, and socioeconomic conditions a good basic primer on sort of the geography of infectious diseases is Wilson 2017, with links to that in the newsletter. Also, uh, sticking with health more recently, and propelled by advances in sort of sequencing technology, researchers have documented variation in population genetics around the world. And you can look at Wang et al. 2022 for some more information on that. Moreover, for 13 parasitic and bacterial infections that make up what are called neglected tropical diseases, well, those have huge global incidents as seen in a chart in the figure or in the newsletter, but they primarily occur in low-income countries in sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And for more information on that, check out Hotez et al. 2007. Now going beyond differences in the pest and disease burden, there's a well-known 2010 article by Henrik, Hein, and Noran Zion which documents extensive variation in human psychology study results depending on the population under study. In particular, they emphasize that the study populations in behavioral science research are overwhelmingly drawn from Western, educated, industrial, rich democracies. And if you look at all the first letters, that gives you the word weird. Uh, They call these weird countries. Uh, Actually, they point out uh, that nearly 70% of subjects in some top psychology journals come from simply just the USA alone. Now, they show that along many important dimensions, findings that are derived from these weird samples don't generalize to the broader human population. So to just take one example of many. Henrik and co-authors point to this 1966 cross-cultural study about the Mueller-Lyer illusion, which there's a figure of below. It's this kind of illusion where you have two lines, and depending on how you draw these other lines around them, it can make it look like one line is shorter than the other, even though they are of equal length. Now this 1966 cross-cultural study found that American undergraduates fell victim to this illusion. They were more likely to perceive one line to be longer than the other, even though they're actually equal in length. And for a while, this was sort of assumed to be a natural, you know, like a universal human trait. But this 1966 study showed, for example, the sand foragers of the Kalahari tended to perceive the lines to just be of equal length. They didn't seem to be susceptible to this illusion. There was a 2020 retrospective by Apicella, Norenzayan, and Henrik, which looked back on the previous decade since their 2010 article, and that found samples drawn from these so-called weird countries tended to continue to dominate major journals, even though there had been, you know, not very frequent, but there still had been new studies that continued to find variation across countries was something that was important. As an aside, there was an interesting kind of counterexample. Uh, The Many Labs 2 project in 2014 tested 28 different psychology results across a large number of country sites, and that study did actually find that the extent to which a population was weird wasn't really significantly correlated with whether a result replicated in one setting or another. There was a rebuttal, or I guess a a commentary on that by schimmel and, uh, and many others in 2023 that argued that that study is insufficiently powered uh, to detect all but the largest variation in results across country had some other critiques as well. Anyway, the debate is going on there. Finally, economics presents another domain where results in one country may not generalize to another. For example, Vivalt 2020 assesses the extent to which results from impact evaluations of economic development interventions generalize to new contexts. And to do this, uh, Vivald compiled a data set of all results across hundreds of impact evaluations covering 20 different types of development programs. For example, one type of development program would be conditional cash transfers. Now, Vivald summarizes the variation by intervention and sort of by intervention outcome using meta-analysis methods, and she documents that, you know, there's significant variation for the same intervention and outcome across different contexts. And that this variation is greater than variation that exists across some other types of interventions, for example, medical interventions. So the problems related to agriculture, disease, human psychology, and economic development may not be universal, but they might vary substantially from region to region. And if, reg- and if research done in one region is more likely to be related to sort of the problems in the local context of that region, as we argued in our previous post, Well, then that means that the substantial concentration of research means a lot of problems are receiving very little research effort. Decision makers' beliefs also matter. If people believe that research done elsewhere isn't applicable to their context, then that research is less likely to inform their decisions and ultimately less likely to be useful. And that's true even if the research actually is applicable, but people just don't believe it. And some papers indicate that this potential concern is a real one. Two recent papers attempt to isolate this mechanism in the context of program evaluation evidence. Vivalt et al. 2023 and Nakajima 2021 both investigate how policymakers evaluate potentially relevant research with some experiments where they surveyed policymakers on their views about different potential hypothetical research papers. In both of these papers, the authors provide policymakers with evidence from sets of hypothetical impact evaluations and ask them to rank or rate which evaluations they prefer. These hypothetical evaluations vary in their methodologies. For example, they could be randomized control trials versus observational studies. They vary in their results, their sample size, and importantly for this post, they they vary in the location of where the study was done. And the two studies find similar results, that policymakers tend to have a preference for studies conducted in similar settings to their own country, preferably their own country in Vivalt et al. 2023. Some related evidence from medical research has sort of similar implications. Alsan et al., t- which is forthcoming in the Quarterly Journal of Economics, uses a similar approach, a survey experiment, to assess how doctors and patients interpret the results of clinical trial data. In this study, the authors provided profiles of hypothetical diabetes drugs, which included the drug's mechanism of action and supporting clinical trials. In a supplementary experiment, the authors asked respondents how much they trusted clinical trial results conducted in different countries, and they found that respondents tended to be less confident about the effectiveness of a drug tested outside of the United States. All of the respondents were in the United States, and several respondents expressed concerns that the drug wouldn't work in the same way due to biological factors, socioeconomic, or environmental factors. Now, as an aside, kind of a long aside, geography is, of course, not the only factor affecting which kinds of populations are underserved by research, and the primary experiment in this paper is actually about whether representation of different racial groups in clinical trials influences the likelihood that physicians would recommend that drug to their patient and whether patients would adhere to the drug regimen. The study randomized the share of black trial subjects in the average drug efficacy in trials across drug uh, drug profiles. Physicians were asked to indicate their intent to prescribe the drugs, and in a separate experiment, hypertension patients were asked their interest in novel therapies to treat hypertension that had been tested in trial sites with varying shares of black participants. And they found that physicians were more likely to state an intention to prescribe drugs that had been tested on representative samples, and that this effect was driven by doctors who routinely saw black patients. And as for the patients, black respondents were more likely to state that a drug would work for them if the trial was more representative. End aside. So another rationale for conducting research in different countries, besides that it may be necessary to do good science, is that the uptake of research depends partially on where it's done. So what does this all mean in terms of actual outcomes in places with fewer researchers, or put differently, is there any evidence on the consequences of this kind of inappropriate research? Moscona and Sastry 2022 provides one estimate of how much this matters, at least in the context of agriculture, and they use kind of a multi-step analysis. First, they're going to measure the extent to which a country's crop and pest prevalence overlaps with that of a more innovative locations. And that's going to let them generate a mismatch measure at the country pair crop level. Second, they measure the role of this mismatch in cross-border technology transfer between pairs of countries, showing that a mismatch between frontier countries matters the most for non-frontier countries. Uh, In concrete terms... If you're far away if if your pest burden is far away from the pest burden of say the united states you're less likely to report using plant species that were sort of bred originally in the united states third they use a regression model which regresses crop output on mismatch with frontier countries that is countries that produce more research in those kind of crop areas and they're holding constant country and crop fixed effects and they showed that a mismatch with frontier countries negatively affects crop-specific output in other countries. For example, in their analysis, a country that is one standard deviation more mismatched in terms of how dissimilar its pest population is to the pest population of a center of agricultural R&D like the United States, well, then the yield of crops tends to be about 0.4 standard deviations lower than its peers. Now, to bolster their analysis, Muskan and Sastry go on to look at two events that shifted technological leadership, which thereby shifted these sort of mismatch patterns. And they look at two major shifts, the Green Revolution in the 1960s and 70s and the rise of U.S. biotechnology in the 1990s. And they exploit these events shift uh, they exploit that these events shifted the center of innovation in certain types of agriculture to identify how changes in where innovation takes place affects productivity in countries with similar distributions of crops and pests and the results are consistent with this previous analysis countries whose mismatch to the frontier declined or because for example the green revolution moved where r d happened to countries that were Closer in terms of their pest burden, well, those countries saw greater gains in agricultural productivity. Together, this body of evidence implies that the location of researchers really does matter, at least for you know agricultural production, health outcomes, human psychology, and the policy and program implementation in sort of economic development contexts. And that said, without more research on problems affecting places with sort of fewer researchers, it's difficult to tell what we are missing and the extent to which research can solve problems in places that don't have a lot of researchers. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for the standard end of the episode boilerplate. You've been listening to a podcast from New Things Under the Sun, a living literature review with the mission of communicating what academia knows about innovation in accessible but rigorous research syntheses. New Things Under the Sun is a living literature review, which means I go back and update these research syntheses as new research is published, or I discover it. The podcast you listen to is taken from the first published version of one of these syntheses. To see if there's been any updates about the claims made in this podcast, or to learn more about this project, head to newthingsunderthesun.com.